0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Blue Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, the CEO of Ocean STL Consulting, former Deputy Administrator of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, as well as Assistant Secretary of Commerce and Oceanographer of the Navy. This is a monthly offering by the American Shoreline Podcast Network. It's brought to you by Coastal News Today. The American Blue Economy podcast brings together leading voices in the ocean, coastal and Great Lakes based economies for the following objectives. We want to expand awareness and collaboration, identify positive solutions to address the many challenges that the ocean economy is facing, such as conflicting uses and climate change, and provide thought leadership at the national level, all to support our post pandemic national recovery. And in today's episode, the third of our year-long series, we're going to focus on tourism and recreation, which is super well-timed and relevant as we are just beginning a reopening in America in the wake of COVID-19. So just a few stats to begin with. Outdoor recreation in the U.S. accounts for $788 billion in economic activity and 5.2 million jobs. And the ocean part of that, the coast and Great Lakes included, has 2.4 million jobs. That is, more, that is more employment than the entire real estate industry, as well as the building, construction, and telecommunication industries combined. Uh, so a major part of our economy, and, and workers in the ocean-based tourism and recreation sector earned $58 billion in wages uh, before the pandemic, and they're coming back. And ocean-based tourism and recreation contributes about $124 billion to our gross domestic product, or GDP, nationally each year. And in this larger sector, if you include leisure and hospitality, like the hotels and restaurants on our coast and Great Lakes, they employ 6.8 million people and generate over $184 billion in earnings, with nearly $400 billion uh, in terms of the GDP contribution. So this is just a giant part of our American blue economy. And today we're going to talk about such cool coastal activities as surfing, sailing, boating, diving, foiling, fishing, as well as ocean conservation. Which is really essential to sustaining the beauty and health of these natural places that we like to recreate in we'll also discuss a bit about the national marine sanctuaries aquaria and science centers and the role they have in enhancing awareness and uh, and public support for conservation and the private media has a big role too and we'll touch on that and personally as a lifelong coastal resident you know my idea of enjoyment is anything on under or involving the water in fact, my recruiting studio right here, I am just steps away from the western shore, of the Chesapeake Bay, and I'm going to be out there at the end of this program. I'm just trying to figure out on what my stand up paddleboard, kayak, canoe or bay liner powerboat. But to get started, let's, uh, we are joined by an absolute A-list of guests and professionals in this sector. And uh, to begin with, we have Ian Carnes, champion surfer, co-founder of surfing.com, the television series. And the children's world of waves Ian. it is an honor to have you join us
1: i'm stoked to be here tim sounds really interesting
0: great we also have megan heaney greer she's a pioneering american free diver a stunt diver television celebrity conservationist educator model and my favorite job of hers is mom megan thanks so much for joining us
2: thanks for having me tim
0: we also have margaret spring She's the Chief Conservation and Science Officer at the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and formerly she was the Chief of Staff at my former agency, NOAA, and the Principal Deputy Undersecretary for Oceans and Atmosphere in the Department of Commerce. Margaret, it is a privilege to have you on this episode.
3: Nice to be with you, Tim.
0: All right. And we also have Bruckner Chase. He's the founder of the Ocean Positive Foundation. He's an accomplished paddler, an ocean distance swimmer. Bruckner, it is great to have you here today. Really honored to be here with this group, Tim. Oh, right. And lastly, and not least at all, is David Ruck. He is producer of Great Lakes Outreach Media, and he was formerly with NOAA's National Marine Sanctuary Program. He is a highly talented and very, very accomplished in coastal video production. Welcome to the show, David.
4: Thanks for doing this, Tim. What a great group to be a part of. Thank you.
0: Well, indeed. Okay. Well, we're going to kick it off with Ian Kanga Kangakarns. And uh, Ian, you know, I told you when we were just getting ready for this how I followed you as a as a young um, you know aspiring wannabe surfer in Southern California in the 1970s when you were charging in the North Shore of Hawaii. Uh, and so you're now at, you know at the kind of peak of your career with this terrific production of, of the World of Waves series. And uh, I'm kind of curious if you wouldn't mind sharing with us, you know, your, your perspective on this. Surfing's contribution to the tourism and uh, ocean economy.
1: Well, the the thing that we look at with surfing.com is embracing uh, all aspects of surfing. So yes, I competed on the the world tour of surfing and shortboard performance surfing, and I rode big waves. But the evolution of surfing with bodyboarding, with stand-up paddling, with foiling, with all of these other activities that are going on, um, I was talking to the people from Tiga Boats yesterday and they call their boats surf boats because wake surfing is getting so big. So at surfing.com, we embrace all of these aspects of surfing in lakes, rivers and the ocean. And so, you know, the, the whole aspect of surfing, which is recreation, has been enhanced unbelievably uh, through the COVID epidemic. It's increased in, in size and volume. Uh, probably doubled or tripled what it was in 2019 because people have discovered going out and surfing, being in the ocean is, is fun and healthy and safe.
0: Wow, that's just terrific. You know, there are a lot of silver linings from the pandemic Our increasing use of remote technology that just makes life sometimes a lot more livable and love to hear that. There's so much to explore there, but I'll just kind of go around the horn quickly on brief introductions. And now Megan Heaney-Greer, in a similar way, like Ian's, you started out, uh, but in the world of free diving, uh, so sport, ocean sporting, if you will, like surfing, and then you've evolved, and now you're uh, you're hosting this imperfect conservationist web series to spread the message about keeping our oceans and coasts uh, beautiful and preserved. Uh, share us with us, Share with us a little bit about what you're doing with that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So The Imperfect Conservationist is a web series, and I like to explain it as kind of the culminating voice of all the, you know, the threaded together by the water, but really dealing with all of the conservation work and messaging that I have done over the course of my career. And this really brings it together. And what it boils down to is conservation empowerment. So I keep the episodes really short. They're, uh, you know, I'm I, Try to keep them very light because it is often heavy topics, you know, with conservation and a lot of the bad news that's coming at us all the time, it seems these days. And what I like to do is keep it light and while still being real and then offering up these bite sized, manageable, achievable conservation actions that we can do every day in our lives. You know, not everybody can get a Tesla and solar panels and all of the, you know, or go out and join the front lines with a, you know, with a big movement or sea shepherd type of thing where that would be wonderful, but really bringing it and funneling it down to these manageable bite-sized things that we can do. Um, I always believe that, you know, change is an inside job and it always begins at home. So that's where uh, I really address these little bite-sized things in this new web series I'm doing.
0: Well, I just love that, Megan. You know, there's so much doom and gloom out there about the environment. And when you empower people and let them know you really can make a difference with your contribution, like you're doing, um, that gives us hope. So I love that. Well, now going over to Margaret at Monterey Bay, uh, you as the chief uh, conservation and science officer there, you're kind of like the perfect conservationist. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing to help uh, support tourism and recreation and conservation in Monterey Bay.
3: Sure, Jim. Um, Well, you're right. It is an amazing place to be. And and the biggest draw, of course, uh, is the ocean, which is right in our back door. And so the Monterey Bay Aquarium was founded in 1984. But since we opened, we've been innovating and changing. And so the programs that I lead are founded from our original exhibits, but are created to help uh, advance action for conservation of the ocean. Uh, we're inspiring conservation of the ocean every day, But and two million people come through our doors, at least when we were open uh, uh, before COVID. And um, what we're doing now is advocating for the ocean in Washington and California, uh, also advancing information around climate change in the ocean. And of course, uh, leading uh, global fisheries and aquaculture sustainability efforts through our Seafood Watch program. And we underpin it all with science. In fact, the aquarium itself was founded on the findings of scientists, and it was created in order to reveal the amazing uh, underwater features we have here, the kelp forest, the the deep sea canyon. And so our work is really building on this amazing place, this story of it, and really bringing people here and also bringing it to them, whether they're in Washington or at the U.N.,
0: how fulfilling that must be for you. Uh, if uh, you need anybody to uh, pack your bags on trips or uh, help you with uh, desk work, I, I, sign me up. Um, so, you know, I'm going to actually go back to Ian because he shared with me he had a great story uh, concerning Monterey Bay. And, um, and Monterey, uh, Ian, what, 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 tell us that story.
1: Well, the other end from the Monterey Bay Aquarium is uh, Santa Cruz. And it's a really, really big surf town, Steamer Lane. You know, I have run a number of events. Uh, but uh, about five or six years ago on Labor Day weekend, and my wife and I went up north and uh, we went and cruised around. Our plan was to end up in Monterey to go to the aquarium to look at the amazing exhibits. And, of course, it was Labor Day weekend. We hadn't booked anywhere to stay. We must have stopped off. At about twenty hotels, everything was booked up. So finally, we slept in the parking lot of the aquarium and spent the night oh. in the car. Um, my wife and I mm. and our two young kids—they were all—they were small enough to be comfortable. But we got up early and we, we were like first at the door to get in there and look at the aquarium. And the uh, what's so amazing being a surfer and being in the water up there in Santa Cruz amongst the kelp forests amongst the dolphins, the seals, the, um, the, uh, otters is to see them all represented like in this place for people to come to and, uh, to realize that there's someone protecting that environment for us and looking at, looking at the science and, uh, you know, trying to keep it sort of natural and pure. Um, it's, you know, our, our surface, our connection to the ocean and to the sea life that's in the ocean is that, you know, we actually literally see, touch, and feel them. And, you know, so I, you know, it's just a wonderful trip there, and it's, an, it's a great place.
0: That's, that's just great to hear. And I'm glad you've had that experience, Ian. I, I too, have uh, taken a NOAA boat across uh, the, the bay there from Santa Cruz to uh, the landing in Monterey. And at that, at that time, uh, we were going through the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, and then the humpback whales were just all over the place, sounding and... Uh, Showing their flukes, it was just a glorious time, and that natural environment is just uh, indeed a reason that uh, people like us, ocean professionals, uh, work so hard to make the public aware uh, of their beauty and the need to conserve them. and And now it leads me to talk to, to ask David Ruck to chime in here, because David Ruck previously uh, before his job with uh, Great Lakes uh, Media Outreach had, was with the National Marine Sanctuaries uh, that that NOAA oversees. And he has a really great story because what we're all talking about here is communication and outreach and and really uh, lifting the rising tide that lifts all boats for our, our American public to sustainably use this great resource of our oceans. And, and he started an, uh, an outreach effort called Earth is Blue. And David, can you talk to us a little bit about that and what, what the whole intent, your intent was there?
4: Yeah, thanks, Tim. Um, so Earth is Blue, uh, really, before I got hired at Sanctuaries, I, I did my thesis project on the space program and uh so my head was still sort of in outer space when i got hired at national marine sanctuaries and one of the things that i remembered uh coming across in my research for that project was you know different accounts from astronauts that had been to space and i think it was the apollo 8 astronauts which were the first ones to really look back at the planet and say wow you know this is a blue planet earth is blue and uh I was looking at some of the work that some of my colleagues were doing for the National Park Service, uh, particularly in wilderness areas, uh, and with video storytelling. And I and I told my my boss uh, at sanctuaries, Kate Thompson. I said, Kate, you know, this is what you really ought to be doing: is high quality video stories about uh, different people interacting with the sanctuaries. And so. Uh, we took the idea and ran with it, called it Earth is Blue, and it became uh, a video a week, um, uh, a photo a day. Uh, it's now a magazine that comes out once a year, a really high-end magazine. And uh, it, you know, really, the, the whole effort was to show uh, stewards, champions, whether it's staff, volunteers, people that interact with those resources, the National Marine Sanctuaries, And tell their stories in hopes that you know other people can connect with them see themselves in that person or you know want to visit that place or you know maybe take better care of where they live so uh, i think it's been i i'm certainly proud of having kind of you know given birth to it in, in that way and it's great to see that they're still carrying on with it and it's it's still a really awesome uh daily and weekly platform
0: I agree. You, you did. It was brilliant there, David. And I encourage our audience to Google that, Earth is Blue, and you'll probably see some of David's uh, absolutely superb uh, production work there. And it, it just tells such a good story. Interestingly, this episode, it could sort of be dual purpose to be not just tourism and recreation, but also communication and outreach. And because so much of what we're trying to do to keep these great places preserved and be able to enjoy them like we do uh, involves getting public support. And, uh, and so we have so many great storytellers doing that. Uh, one of them is Bruckner Chase, who has uh, the Wave Safe Program that he's working in partnership with the National Weather Service. And uh, Bruckner, tell us a little bit about what you're doing to help people stay safe in our oceans and coasts.
5: Well, first, <clears throat> I have to contribute to the Monterey Bay uh monterey bay itself and monterey bay aquarium i'm here because of them uh years ago just like the two of you had boated and driven across monterey bay i was invited by the then vice president of communications at the aquarium to do a swim across monterey bay from santa cruz to monterey and did that to help launch a film festival highlight the work of seafood watch and the preservation work of the aquarium and i stood up on the beach 14 hours after getting in the water and was able to reach millions of people through the stories and the experiences we had out there to help try to make what was going on in our oceans personal to others that may or may not have as close of a connection to it as as all of us do on this panel. And that experience evolved working with National Marine Sanctuaries and other divisions of NOAA, and now focusing on working with National Weather Service to embed a way to not just respect the ocean from a conservation standpoint, but also from a safety perspective as well. Because if we're going to encourage people to get into our sanctuaries and, and find personal experiences in our open waters, I feel we have an obligation to teach them to respect it from a conservation standpoint, as well as knowing how to be safe when they're on in or near the water, from what to look at from the weather and changing tides and waves, to what to do if they see someone else in trouble. So that's the focus of what we do. How do we respect the ocean and stay situationally aware at any shore in the country or U.S.
0: territories? Oh, that's just terrific there, Bruckner. How many miles was that, that your swim?
5: Uh, a little over 25 miles. And just like you guys said, one of my support votes rescued a blue whale that was entangled while we were out there. Um, Gosh, that's great. Swam through jellyfish schools like nothing I'd ever seen before. Dolphin pods, the size of which I'd never seen before. I mean, it's, There are some very incredible special places around our country and inland as well, uh, throwing in the great lakes um, that we want to continue to creating safe, sustainable connections for people
0: to experience. That's just wonderful there Bruckner and well done there. It's a varsity level uh, swim and I know a little bit about swimming. Hey, that makes me want to actually turn to Ian on something, you know, among your vast resume. Uh, what I really, I think, admire the most is your leadership and mentorship of, of the next generation surfers. And you started the NSSA, and, and I believe you're all, you know, you've been coaching uh, USA surf teams for some time. I'd love to have you share your thoughts on you know, your sense of your leadership philosophy and, and why you engage in these activities in the first place.
1: Uh, I, I competed on the Australian team twice, 1970 and 1972. And 1972 was my first trip to America. I went to San Diego, um, at Ocean Beach, um, and that was my introduction to America. But the the experience of traveling with your country's team and going to a world championship event where there's all of these other countries and you do a march and you're all in your team uniforms is really uh, amazing. And I've made lifelong friends from those those two trips. So uh, coaching young kids, um, I love the idea of uh, passing on my knowledge of surfing and of the ocean to young brains and helping them perform. And I've been fortunate enough to uh, coach a number of surfers that have ended up being world champions. And uh, then uh, three times I've taken US teams to world championships, won a master's event, won a world games, which is actually going on this week in El Salvador. And also in the stand-up paddle world title, and we, and my team has won three world championships. So to be able to go to an event like that with a team and compete, you know, fiercely against other countries, and and to win these, you know, the the kind of preparation, the many many years of hard work and dedication that these kids put into their own performances, and then putting together as a team, um, I believe. Uh, really helps our surf community. It gives people guidance and direction. They become goal-oriented. They become you know, champions in many other ways. They've gone on to start big companies in the surf industry, uh, People that gra- graduated from the Nas- National Scholastic Surfing Association. Um, not everyone goes and wins a world title, but what you do learn by being in a structured system like that is how to set goals and work hard to achieve those and it's very very satisfying this week in el salvador there are 51 countries wow. surfing for the opportunity to win spots into the first ever of, of surfing olympics that's and right so there are countries you know ukraine russia iran all of these countries and when you look at all those countries together they all come for one purpose which is to be surfers and you know i rather than the world gets fragmented and there's all these differences, when these countries come together, everyone recognizes everyone else as something they're surfers and they all love doing what they do. It's a it's a way to put you know, hands across the ocean.
0: I, that is just beautiful and so well said. And in fact, I was looking um, on LinkedIn this morning and I saw your exchange with Sean Thompson, your old surfing mate, and uh, and you, you, you said that you characterized that exact unifying um, aspect of the sport and and the activity and the pastime of surfing and, and that's just beautiful and that's actually one of these uh, things we want to draw out in the podcast series is how the oceans can bring us together you know the last few years in our country have been quite divisive and I think we all can get our, our arms around together the aspect of uh, sustainably uh, using our oceans uh, to support not only um, actions to protect our environment but also to uh, Uh, achieve our economic prosperity and security Uh, really nicely said well actually there's something uh, someone else here on the episode who is I think doing great things to unify uh, people around the oceans and and that's going back to Bruckner in fact Bruckner one of the things you're doing I think is just so beautiful uh, you're not only working with the sanctuary and the people of American Samoa to keep them safe but you're also working with disabled people to get them uh more comfortable in the water and uh could you talk a little bit about those two activities
5: i would love to because what we're all focused on is how do we how do we make our oceans and open waters accessible to everyone in our community whether they're coming from colorado or from philadelphia or they live down at the shore and we were approached a few years ago by a leading uh rehabilitation hospital baccarac um because in this area if you aren't able to get in on or near the water you're kind of separated from what's culturally the norm living in an island kind of community so we took what we knew about being in the water how to do it safely and how to challenge members of the community and applied that information to create a surf lifesaving sports inspired program for athletes with spinal cord injuries. So what we do is offer them training and racing opportunities that run 52 weeks out of the year. Um, They can get into the open water and train with athletes that are not disabled in our community. Some of our more advanced athletes have done five, six, seven, eight mile races against other ocean lifeguards. Um, We've taken part in the virtual Molokai to Oahu. And our main focus is, How do we make a positive, connecting, unifying experience for athletes with special needs so they can be part of what we all love? It's like if someone told Ian he could only surf one day a year or, Tim, if you could only swim one day a year, that would be really kind of depressing to me. So we wanted to make it accessible and take everything we know and the resources we have to make it something that everyone can enjoy and experience all the time.
0: That is just so wonderful. I love this. Uh, I'm going to have to bring you all back for another episode. This is going great. Unfortunately, Ian's going to have to leave a little early here. So I wanted to kind of turn it over to him for any closing remarks. And specifically, I, I should point out, I, I really would like to have talked to you a lot more about technology, surf parks, and, and wave generating systems, foiling, and, and the rise of that in the surf industry, which is just really terrific. And you profile so well on your World of Wave show. But uh, Ray, maybe you can share a little bit uh, with us as you close about your book, Kanga, and uh, where that comes from, the name, as well as uh, anything, any final thoughts you want to share with us before you have to leave?
1: Yeah, mate. Um, in Australia, if you don't have a nickname, you are no know one. And so <laughs> I came from Western Australia. I drove across the Nullarbor, the 2,500 miles to Sydney, and went to North Narrabeen where they recently had a WSL event. And they just went, you know, you're the big red kangaroo from the West, uh-huh. and which got shortened to Kanga. And Kanga fundamentally became my alter ego. Normally I'm kind of pretty mellow, but Kanga is the kind of guy that will go out and 30-foot close out YMA and put his life on the line to, to win. And uh, so I, I kind of – it's like the royal we. Um, you know, sometimes Kanga will say stuff that Ian doesn't agree with, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have to live with him. And uh, so it's, it's been a really interesting journey. And the book Kanga is a two-volume book. They're about 1,000 pages each, which tells in multiple chapters my story growing up as a kid in Western Australia and how I ended up being here in America building television shows and, and talking about things. I mean, it's a, it's a long, long way away. Um, you know, I grew up in a very, very poor family And uh, just this whole—the idea that sport gives you a chance to, uh, you know, create something new and special for for yourself and your Um, life—that's really the theme of the book. And it effectively becomes a a history of all of pro surfing. And so it's been, uh, you know, over 55 years of just really incredible experiences, just going surfing and loving every part of it. And I love being part of the entire community, whether it's the blue economy or whether it's, uh, you know, recreation or whether it's the um, environmentalism and all of these things that you're talking about here. Uh, I would certainly love to talk about all that. And I'm stoked that surfing is a big contributor to the blue economy.
0: Absolutely, it is. And what's great about that, too, is they're also the surfing community is probably the most ardent conservationist I've ever encountered because they're in the element. And, uh, and you embrace that and embody that in such a fine way. Uh, Ian, it is such an honor to have you on the show and connect with you like this. Uh, let's hope we can do this again. And um, best of luck to you.
1: Well, thank you very much, Tim. It's awesome. Thanks. Thank you to everyone else. It's been really great hearing your stories.
6: The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by... LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new coastal resilience department headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the
0: show. Okay, well, let's continue on a bit. Uh, We have a few more minutes and uh, a lot more to cover. And actually, I'm going to go back to Megan, if that's all right, Megan. And um, like Ian, you know, you have quite a bit of celebrity. Uh, you were on Treasure Quest. You were a stunt diver for the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I, I, so, you know, you have a, you have a, a voice and, and you're, you're using it to tell some really great stories. And I know you have a young um, child. And so I, I, I'm curious that you share with me. Uh, about engaging children, and uh, you have any uh, thoughts on on the on the next generation and empowering them?
2: Absolutely, I think uh, you know it's. Oh, there's so much to say with all of that, but I find that the young the young generations, um, and you know, I I position myself whenever I'm thinking about relaying information or putting something new out there or whatever, that it's, I like to think about it in the context of, of reaching like that one person. And often I keep in mind my son in particular, because um, I think that, you know, the young generations, they not only are, uh, you know, of course the, the path forward, but also it's such a huge source of inspiration to be able to see uh, these environments and the empowerment and the different, you know, really giving that that uh, understanding, whether it's to kids or adults or whatever, that, hey, this is what we can do and reinstating that some of that hope and the action that we can do. It's so important and so inspiring um, when it's going to children or adults. The Imperfect Conservationist web series that I'm doing now is Geared more at adults, but I'm building out different components specifically for kids right now because, like I said, the path forward for sure, but also I feel like, you know, when you really start breaking it down, the kids now and the young generations just have more skin in the game than anybody else. They are, um, have an incredible voice to add to the table, no matter how young. And they are, going to be feeling the impacts of climate change going forward more than any of our generations. And so I think that when you bring it all together um, kids, you know, in addition, can be so influential to, I mean, and any parents uh, on this, you know, list out there listening or any of us on here that have kids too, you can attest to this. Our kids are so influential to us as parents as well. And there's some really interesting research that's uh, that I've been digging into and that's been coming out uh, even, you know, you were talking about how over the last several years that there's been so much development vision and everything. And kids have a different, you know, they, they lead with curiosity. They, you know, are not often driven in that sense by any political views and things like that. So they just have this incredible capacity to, you know, lead the way. And I just think, you know, we've been seeing that in so many different ways with Greta Thunberg and Little Miss Flint, and we have all of these different voices adding to the mix. And uh, yeah, I just, I I think kids is, is definitely where it's at, but it's a big part of that is because they get us off our butts. They get us motivated. And, you know, it's like, hey, I'm with the kids, man. Let's, let's activate everybody and really dig into what we can do right now. Nobody is too old or too young or too small, nothing. So we're all part of this.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And as a father of three daughters, uh, I know this to be true. In fact, uh, that, that's really a big reason for my optimism and hope. And I to back to Margaret Spring of Monterey Bay Aquarium. Um, So this, I I, I think you share some optimism about the future. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. And certainly in the area of innovation, if uh, you have anything to say. Sure.
3: Well, you know, being here in Monterey, uh, Monterey wasn't always a hope spot or or a happy place. In fact, Monterey was the site of one of the worst fisheries crashes probably ever seen. And it devastated this area. And what's so inspiring about being here is seeing how it's built back. And you know, we now have the most sustainable fisheries uh, on the West Coast right here. We have um, the talk about bringing people together. We have um, business people of all stripes, you know, understanding that the ocean here is not only our personal health, but it's our wealth. And uh, some businessmen even call it the golden goose, the ocean right here, because it's really brought people together. And so we inspire people with about how much their actions can really make change and and I think that we this this community went from a very um, impoverished and really broken community to a really vibrant tourism site that is now attracting so many people and kids, all ethnicities all from all over the world. And it's really helping them. What we try and do is explain the state of the situation. I'm not going to sugarcoat that the ocean is not, is, is in trouble. It is. And yet, there we have some great stories of recovery and resilience that we like to tell. And then we tell people what we're doing and we tell them how they can help too. And so really make it digestible and that the kids, as, as you just said, are incredibly active more so than ever. We worked with our education department that works with K through 12 kids. And the kids really wanted to get involved in advocacy, so they created their own group and they learned how to, you know, how can I make change? And so it's it's really a, a next generation opportunity for us. Um, but this place is special, but also the animals are special. You know, the sea otter, we're known for this, for, for Southern sea otters and we've been working with them for 30 years and they're now on their road to recovery where they were down to 50. 50. Now we're over 3,000, and they're helping build uh, the um, the, eco- the ecological health of our local area, uh, including in Elkhorn Slough, which is a National Estuarine Research Reserve. And we really see this as an uh, opportunity. Our ability to rescue pups, create a surrogacy relationship with these uh, with the, with the moms we have on display. And so then we can put them back in the ocean. And they've actually contributed a, almost 60% of the population of sea otters in Elkhorn Slough. So we've over doubled the population of sea otters in this one estuary. It's an amazing story and it's, a, it's founded on science. It brings together learning, innovation, and also, we've been able to work with our partner, the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, which is a deep sea powerhouse uh, using technology, and and they've actually been able to do some water quality measurement that's helped that's shown that the sea otters have improved the water quality in this area. So we work together, science, people, nature, and then we also see that we are the driver, the number one driver of tourism to this location, as beautiful as it is. When people come to Monterey, they come to the Monterey Bay Aquarium, so we start them out with a primer on where they are, what's here, and how amazing it is. And then we give them some tools to go out and to make change. And so those things are like the Seafood Watch cards or what you can do for plastic pollution. And We have, uh, we have a network of 23 aquariums around the country in red and blue states that really are advocating for the ocean. You're right. We all have to come together. And the fact is, is that they've also taken on climate change as, an, as a real area where we need to work because the warming ocean is not helping. Our surfer friends, our, our friends in the weather service, they all know the story. And we know it, but we want to make sure people, other people know it. And so I just I'm really excited about what's what the potential is. And and how hungry people are to see the ocean and the aquarium and to understand it better. Uh, as cold as the water is here, not everybody has the uh, fortitude to go into the water like you do, Tim. So it's really nice that we're able to share it uh, in a sort of a dry environment. But you've got a cathedral to the ocean that you walk into. And I've seen people just cry when they walk in. It's so beautiful because that's what we have. And we must take care of it because it is our health and our wealth.
0: Well, amen to your Cathedral of the Ocean there, Margaret. Well said, and great job. Congre- I mean, that is just the accomplishment there on um, uh, restoring the sea otter is really remarkable. And I was growing up when the population was declining. So it's just nice to see this amazing turnaround. Uh, I've been behind the scenes uh, taking tours of, of the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and it is a national treasure. You know, and uh, so much of what we talked about, which I find fascinating, more, more so than the activities and the sports, which we all just love, is is this outreach and communication, and to bring heighten people's awareness, and and David Ruck is a as a pro in this category, and we've talked a bit about using outreach and education to advance conservation. And, and David, uh, you you talked to me about telling stories, and uh, yeah, Shami, you're a professional in this area, and you used a great term uh, the other day when we talked. Uh, talk talk to me about your 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 observations, your experience, and your thoughts on telling these stories for the American public.
4: Yeah, uh, sure. The, the, the term that I threw out there was Sesame Street for adults, which is, yes. uh, you know, because I, I, I like to tell stories that, that that really illustrate some sort of scientific exploration or uh, a question researchers are trying to answer. And a lot of times audiences don't, you know, when you're just looking at it through the lens of a scientist, it's, it's hard for a lot of lay audiences to really understand or appreciate what that is. So you have to kind of find the, the real world connection to, to that science, you know, maybe it's studying fisheries and well, let's tell a story about a fisher person who fishes in those waters and they've seen a decline in a particular fishery. Um, you know, if you're telling that story and coupling it with the research that's being done, you know, then maybe now you've sort of, you sort of rope people in with the story of the Fisher person, uh, and then you're sort of injecting into the audience's mind this new scientific, you know, information, um, that and, and they don't really realize that they're learning. So that's why <laughs> I kind of like to call that, uh, yeah, Sesame Street for adults. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, that 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 is kind of one of the challenges, right? Because we, I grew up on 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 the coast of. One of the Great Lakes, and and it seems like all of you are um, on, on either the east or the west coast, or one of the other many coasts. But there's so many landlocked people, even in the Great Lake state. You know, there's so many kids that live a mile inland that you know have never seen a Great Lake, and so you know it's really one of the one of the biggest challenges. Uh, I think is 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 being able to connect with these people that. Well, on a map, it looks like they're really close to these resources. Their life experience might not be such that they've actually witnessed it or have a relationship with it. You know, I think it's easy for me, as someone who grew up there, to to take it for granted. So, as a storyteller, um, I I always try and kind of find the connection to the to the doubters, to the the people that that aren't uh you know not the choir so to speak people that don't necessarily have these experiences and figuring out like what is the connection that they have to this place but they just don't know it yet and and that always keeps my job interesting um and and, you know when you're when you connect with a a farmer you know one of the one of the people in one of the films i'm working on right now about harmful algal blooms in lake erie uh, one of the heroes in this story is this organic farmer. And he told me, like, he can count on two hands the number of days he's been off his farm in his life, you know, like a full day. So like, how do you how do you how do you connect that person to harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie, where, you know, agriculture is a huge driver for these these big blooms that you're seeing? You, and it becomes an interesting transformational process for me and then hopefully the viewer and and trying to figure out what those connection points are so i think that's the that's the challenge and the opportunity really with 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 storytelling is not just talking to the people that you know already like the subject matter or already care about the subject matter but getting people who don't necessarily understand or appreciate it to say like oh yeah you know i guess i do have an impact downstream
0: well, that's terrific, and you know, we do want to make a positive impact here. That's the purpose of this podcast, so thank you, David. You know, in, in this area of connecting uh, with people, one that I'm kind of interested in and sort of overlaps with your background as a, a scuba diver and having experience diving on shipwrecks is using the term and kind of communicating about shipwreck preservation in the Great Lakes and elsewhere uh, by calling them living museums in the sea, and, uh, and, and that's, that's just a great term to sort of uh, highlight what, what shipwreck conservation can do, whether it be the history, history and maritime heritage aspect of, of that in our blue economy or the, uh, the fact that they are terrific artificial reefs that are really important for um, state-run fisheries. And So interesting. That kind of communication is just so key. And, and what I'm just thrilled to have is everybody here on board is such an accomplished communicator. And uh, going back to Bruckner, I know you have a partner, Dr. Michelle Evans-Chase, and uh, I understand that she's a social scientist. And so you work together because the social scientists are so uh, adept at understanding how people hear and take away messages or not. And uh, so can you share with us a little bit about how you work with her, uh, Bruckner?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think it has been a really key thing for us to fold in a social scientist understanding of how do we positively impact people and how effective are we at not just telling the stories and getting impressions but actually shifting behavior in in the way that benefits the environment we're trying to protect And Michelle has a PhD from Penn in social science. She actually works with NOAA just as I do under a cooperative research and development agreement, helping guide messaging and and narrative to specific populations. And when National Marine Sanctuaries sent me from Monterey Bay to American Samoa, and we began working with uh, special populations down there to strengthen their connection to the oceans and make it safe, that social guide of looking at how different people view their connection to the ocean, whether they're viewing the Great Lakes from a farm or whether they're viewing the ocean from a village that's been there for 3,000 years. It's important that we look at where people are uh, and find ways that honor their past and where they are and move them into something that benefits benefits us all as we look at and talk about our oceans and our great lakes that are so critical to all of us from a community economic standpoint to health and well-being
0: and quality of life that's really well said thank you Bruckner. uh amen to that as well and so we're kind of uh, on the last lap of this uh podcast episode here and I wanted to go through each person and, I, and ask them kind of what's next for you. What's one of the big things on the horizon? And I wanted to start with with Margaret Spring at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Well, what a—you've had this pandemic, and I understand you had fifty-five million dollars in, in losses, but now your doors are open. And and what what are you looking towards in the future for the aquarium and the the field you contribute so substantively to? Well, thanks
3: for asking that question because yes, it was a very difficult year. Um, We are so thrilled to be reopened and um, we are at 25% capacity now and the demand is unbelievable. You know, on our first day, the tickets went back on sale. We sold nearly 40,000 in one day, twice the previous high, twice the previous in the previous. So there's a hunger and a desire for more information. And the other thing we learned, though, in the um, in the closure is we had to go virtual. We had to use technology to reach people. We learned a lot about. Digital engagement, even increasing it and bringing the the bringing real opportunities to engage with our exhibits to more people, to the point of what we talked about before. And so we've got we've got that kind of initiative that we look ahead for. How can we connect to more people about our conservation opportunities globally? And, and in addition, our you know diversity, equity, and inclusion is of course a hugely important consideration. We live in an area that is that uh, where we have a connection to people who, even though they live two miles away, may not actually have been to the ocean. We want to be inclusive and also focus on the issues that are important to people's health and their well-being and societal connection because. People have to care about the health of the ocean, and how and how do they do that? It's oceans and human health. It's how does it all connect? Surfers know that, and so many people know it. So there's a plastic pollution is a big area for us. California is going to be uh, trying to take a, a big step in terms of reducing the sources of plastic pollution as a model. We often do modeling here, and so one of the things that we'd like to help with is to sort of say, it's easy to do. We did it in our gift shop. We've eliminated single-use plastics. Let's get going. Let's let's take a chance. Let's actually make a difference. And so that's gonna be a big focus of our work, but also we're bringing uh, a lot of our science to other parts of the world, Southeast Asia, or, to help them in, in improve the sustainability of their seafood because we import it, unfortunately. The other thing that we are doing here though is we're working with local fishermen Because we have a a very protected area here and a very sustainable fishery. How do we get people to appreciate the amazing seafood that we have right here in the United States and pay a living wage for it? That's super important because that's part of the blue economy. And, And so that's a really important thing. But the most exciting thing I think that we'll be looking for everyone to visit us next year about is our new exhibit, The Deep. Into the Deep, it will be open. We're working with our the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, which has amazing technological tools. sits on a, 2, a 2.5 uh, mile deep canyon, right undersea canyon, and we're going to be for the, for the first time really having a big exhibit uh, that will feature so much, not only digitally but also in person, what the amazing creatures of the deep sea, which is entirely uh, largely unprotected, and uh, and so we will want to be introducing a new a new generation to the amazing wonders of the deep sea, and also how you use technology to, to forge solutions using eDNA. And you know so much about that, Tim, but also technology, which we can actually help explain to people because it's super complicated. But once you know it, you're so excited by it, and you really wanna want to learn more and and just sit in that pilot seat of the ROV and and drive it to the bottom and, and see what you can see. So lots of excitement ahead, um, but you know, Every, there's plastic at the bottom of the ocean, there's plastic in the middle of the ocean, the climate's affecting everything, it's all at stake. So the more you know, the more you can work with us and our partners to really make a difference, I think that's possible. So we're really looking forward to the next next year so we can really uh, help, help the government, help the communities do better.
0: Gosh, Margaret, that's just so exciting. You know, you, you can't manage what you haven't measured and you're out there measuring things that are important. And I love that you're advancing so many important areas of our blue economy that uh, I, like you know, had a, uh, was a champion for, like o- uh, the National Ocean Mapping and Exploration Strategy and Plan and uh, the, our NOAA's Big Seafood Initiative to counter uh, all the uh, negative f- f- illegal fishing practices that are occurring uh, worldwide and and really uh, produce more sustainable seafood. Boom, boom, boom. You're doing it all. Great to hear. Thank you. Uh, let's turn over to Megan now. Megan, what's up for you next with your web series, The Imperfect Conservationist, or anything else you have your hands in?
2: Yes, absolutely. A lot of really exciting projects on the horizon as well as everything is starting to reopen and and kind of come back together in many ways and, and incremental ways, I should say, too, because so many places, of course, you know, around the world, um, dive travel, especially from where I'm coming from right now. I, I hail from Colorado. So all most at least like 99 percent of diving is done through travel. So I'm really excited for, uh, of course, like all of us to get those things back to whatever our new normal is in that way. But like Margaret was just saying too, I mean, the pandemic, Mm, I think all of us retooled and pivoted in the ways that we had to, and that was our own, you know, building our own resilience. And so I did uh, start the web series, you know, from here, which it was, it's been on my, my list of, you know, projects that I was super excited to get going. Uh, It just moved up in the list because I had the time and the space uh, courtesy of of 2020 to do that. I also uh, am a co host on the Deeper Blue podcast, which is a lot of a lot of fun, really amazing dive stories. Which I probably now that I I have connected with all of you amazing people, you might be uh, getting an email from me to come on as a guest and swap some dive stories if you're game. So. <laughs> oh.
0: Gosh, count me in. Uh, yes.
2: We're going into a couple, uh, into season three and, and we're ready, uh, to kick off into recording for season four too. So it'll be really exciting, but yeah, otherwise, you know, beyond that, I, I am really looking for, I'm, I know we all have, you know, zoom fatigue. I guess that's, you know, what it's called. I was feeling it. So I was happy to hear the the term, but I know, you know, with webinars and all of the things I love the one-on-one, but I think we're all feeling some of that fatigue. So I, have you know historically done a lot of public speaking and i really look forward to getting back into that and and meeting face to face with people and connecting and especially uh in the mentoring space and with kids that i've done a lot in the past and i'm just really looking forward to that and and really coupling that with the imperfect conservationist brand that i'm building out and like i said working on some kids uh programming and things like that as well. And I have a few projects on the burner that are like, you know, the the industry with the storytelling and television and all of that stuff, you, until it's greenlit, it's kind of like this tentative thing. So I have a few projects that I'm really got my, you know, fingers and fins crossed that go forward that are really exciting. And really, I mean, I got to say, I'm just going to, like all of us keep working for the ocean every day from here, where I'm at in Colorado, getting back underwater whenever and as much as I can, and keep up the outreach and, and education, and just really working to raise awareness for each individual. It's like I really love to break it down into the individual, uh, you know, into what we each can do with these little. I just I kind of see it like if you imagine you have this this massive building or even if you think of it in probably more appropriate context here the ocean right but it's made up of individual drops and that's how you get there and we I I was just having a conversation the other night at a, a family dinner and my uncle was like yeah but you know I was telling him about this really awesome new. Uh, Uh, Laundry detergent I'm using it comes in this little sheet and there's no plastic and I was I get really excited about this stuff (laughs) because I kind of nerd out on it but it's fascinating you know I've been lugging around these big buck or jugs forever and this stuff if you guys want to check it out it's it's made by clean people but I just was I was telling my family about it and like yeah I'll give you one of the little sheets it takes up like a you know two the size of two decks of cards you know on your shelf no plastic it's friendly for the water systems, all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, but then everybody else has to do it too. And I'm like, man, it's such a, so we had a conversation about the approach, you know, because if we all thought like that, you know, or if we all think like that, it's, we already have the answer of where this is going. But if we all change our perspective and and start with what we can personally each do, it makes all the difference in the world.
0: Well, gosh, that's just great. And you're so uplifting. I love your positivity. This is just terrific. Thanks. Well, uh, based, Megan, based on your dive log, I have no qu- no doubt you are going to succeed in this. And I'm happy to reconnect with you and uh, maybe talk to Ive Stories next time.
2: Love it. Love it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, we're not done yet. And in fact, Bruckner, uh, tell us what you're up to this year and, and hope to move, out, move forward on uh, as we uh, really open up after this pandemic.
5: Well, I got to say on a really positive note, we actually experienced in the programs that we run to connect people to the ocean and, and teach them how to be safe and respect the water, our program reach doubled in 2020. And I think it's because we offered people an opportunity to experience something that crossed aisles and give them gave them something to feel positive and strong about. So I'm really excited to keep moving forward with that momentum. We're beginning to work with Surf Lifesaving Australia to integrate a parasurf life-saving sports program into their nationwide initiatives. That is going to happen in in more earnest uh, once we can actually fly back down there. But more importantly and closer to home, growing from the National Weather Service Wave Safe film series, we developed a new WaveSafe poster that's kind of the next generation from the rip current posters that many people have seen on beaches. We found a partner in the financial industry that is taking their technology of using recycled ocean bound plastics to make these beach posters out of recycled ocean bound plastics. So we are piloting a program this year that puts recycled ocean bound plastic signs that literally protect our oceans and our communities in the sand in some targeted areas this year and embedded in those posters are microchips that link people immediately to current information about the beach they're visiting or the larger message of rip current safety and weather service safety. So we off, we're offer we offering a new way to engage people in something that's gonna impact them right then when their feet step into the sand and something they take with them to whatever beach they may visit. So I couldn't be more excited about what lies ahead. I'm looking forward to getting back out to Monterey Bay. Uh, and ironically, my first trip, though, is to Denver, Colorado. It's amazing with Megan to vouch for that, how much ocean conservation and ocean awareness comes from the mountains. So I'm looking forward to heading away from the ocean for a
0: couple of days pretty soon. Yes, indeed. In fact, NOAA has one of the largest research labs in uh, Boulder. And that, uh, they're, they're leading in a great way to help better understand our changing planet and so, good on you, Bruckner, and uh, love that love that issue that that initiative. In fact, you know that NOAA um, has re- recently released a rip current model and prediction capability, and some of it relies on surf cams and machine learning. And I w- had a, a big part in pushing that forward and making it an agency priority because more people die from rip currents than uh, in given years than tornadoes. It's a it's one of the biggest killers.
5: Yeah. Well, and we also know that. People survive 100% of the rip currents that they never end up in the first place. So if we teach people to respect the ocean, maybe we can keep them out of the water when it's too dangerous, like the model will do. And we want to keep our lifeguards dry. You know, we want to make sure that they're not opportunities for people to become second victims or for people to have bad experiences in the ocean when their life is on the line.
0: Such good work. Thank you, Bruckner. And let's go to David now. David, what do you got going on this year? And uh, tell us about any work you have moving forward.
4: So at Great Lakes Outreach Media, it's probably going to be a busy year. Um, we're doing work right now with uh, the EPA out of the Chicago Great Lakes National Program Office, telling stories about Great Lakes areas of concern. There's forty-six, forty-seven sites that were designated in the 80s as uh, kind of toxic hot spots that um um, Great Lakes Restoration Initiative funding has been uh, recently uh, cleaning up. And so we're telling uh, stories about the e- economics of that. i um, working with uh, the Ocean Exploration Trust in Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary the middle of this month. Uh, ex- I, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about, but um, there's... Anything <laughs> the, uh, goes. There, there, there's a number of shipwrecks that have been discovered in Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary and a number that are suspected. Uh, so there's going to be uh, exploration and, and looking for some of those shipwrecks, I believe. Um, and I'll be doing some video work for that team. Um, you know, one, of the, one of the ongoing clients that I have is NOAA's Office of Education and the, the BEWET program, which is Bay Watershed Education and Training. And actually one of the places that we told stories in uh, already was Monterey Bay and Elkhorn Slough. And the, uh, the, the name of the exact grantee is escaping me right now, but it was a pleasure to get to, to see those. And so we're telling some more BeWet stories. Um, uh, it looks like we're gonna be doing some work with uh, Great Lakes Commission on telling stories about ha- habitat restoration uh, and then we're finishing the the documentary that I've been working on since 2019 called The Erie Situation, which is about the harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie. Uh, we're working with Plastic Oceans International on that. We got a lot of support from Rotary and Great Lakes Observing System to kick that off. So we're in the final production stages of that right now with music and color correction, etc. Um, you know, I... For me, for me personally, and and I, and I think I hear this from 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 everyone that's been on your show. Um, for for me, this this really began as as a spiritual connection to the lakes. Uh, you know, growing up on Lake Michigan, there was always something about having this vast open horizon uh, that allowed me to kind of you know imagine what was on the other side. You know, kind of. Kind of figuratively and 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 literally, um, and I, I guess I always had questions in my mind of 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 what the lake was beyond just the experience of of standing next to it. And so when I was hired by Noah and worked at sanctuaries, and I got to be exposed to these world class scientists, um, you know, it started to add like a layer of sophistication and a layer of understanding of not just the Great Lakes, but the ocean and, and our natural world. And so the, 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 the caliber of individual that I got exposed to there, uh, really these, these public servants and the partners that they work with are really the driving motivation behind the work that, that I'm doing now with Great Lakes Outreach Media. Um, you know, like these folks are doing the work because they love it. They could be making more money in the private sector. Uh, and I just wish that more people in the public, you know, knew and understood that. And and the work they're doing is fascinating. It's interesting, and it's protecting life and property. And, and you know, it it's increasing our understanding of the of the natural world. And so, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the clients that I work with are either it's either NOAA directly or NOAA, NOAA funded or EPA. Um, you know, I do this work because. I'm a lifelong learner and every time I get to embark upon um, one of the, I'll call them challenges or opportunities because every time I get to do one of these videos about something like this, it's an opportunity to learn. Um, and I guess I'll just end with inviting uh, folks like Bruckner and Megan and, and you, Tim, to come surf the Great Lakes. I'm not a surfer myself, but I think you guys got to get out here uh, maybe some gale of November and, huh and uh and try your hand at the unsalted wave
2: i'm
0: in love it in fact my uh, daughter i bought her a shirt when i was up there in thunder bay and it said the great lakes unsalted and shark free so yeah uh in fact i love that because um you know there's so many topics to we really never even um uncovered as richly as we could have like shipwreck diving and the great tourism pool that that uh, generates in the Great Lakes, and I I did dive Thunder Bay on on a wreck with some of the sanctuaries folks, and it was the highlight of my experience in NOAA. Uh, probably ta- matched with the time I dove on a U boat off North Carolina with some other sanctuaries personnel from the Monitor Sanctuary. I will agree
4: with you on that. I will agree. I, it was my highlight too. Was diving with the team up there, for sure.
0: That's great. Well, we're gonna have to. We're just gonna have to reconvene this episode and talk more story. But I will, uh, I, we're going to have to wrap up, but uh, as much as I do not want to, but people have things to do and all the good work they described, but I'll go around the horde one more time for any final thoughts. Uh, so Margaret Spring at Monterey Bay Aquarium, um, any any words uh, that you wanted to, uh, parting wisdom to share with us?
3: Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say that um, people are really the problem, but we're also the solution. And I'm seeing a lot of opportunity for us to make change. Uh, if we come together. Um, and one of the things that I think we can agree on is that science is important and uh, and also to uh, to get people excited about the possibilities. So I look forward to hosting people at the Monterey Bay Aquarium whenever you can, or also uh, just visit us in our, our our webcams. And so be part of the party, be part of the solution. And we really look forward to it. Take care, everyone.
0: Great, Margaret. Well, well said, and uh, thank you. Megan Handy greer anything that you want to share with us before we close?
3: Yes,
2: absolutely. I love what Margaret, Margaret just said. Uh, that's spot on. And I really, yeah, it's, I encourage people to get out to whatever your environment is and just feel it, go out there, feel small, you know, go to those places that make you feel small because that's where we tap into that deeper connection and, you know, can can really uh and bring kids with you if you have a kid in your life bring them with you because all of that is where that connection starts that adventure which leads to you know the eventual protection and and that um, I I love the quote that we protect what we love, but even more so, I think that we protect what we're part of. And when you can feel that connection, that's really where that magic happens and we can step into that uh, empowered, you know, middle ground of, of conservation empowerment and seek seek out the things that you can personally do. If you can't, you know, run off and join Seed Shepherd or some or the climate strike or whatever it is, that you can do stuff in your own home. So I encourage anyone and everyone to uh check out my youtube channel with the imperfect conservationist i keep it short and entertaining and uh light as possible with empowering bite-sized actions that everybody can do if you go to youtube just google or or just put in uh, the imperfect conservationist or connect with me on my website or instagram uh meganhaneygreer.com all the links are there and i just uh yeah, I'm just really honored to be here and be part of this amazing panel. And uh, I look forward and really hope to connect with all of you in the future as well. And like I said, um, I'm really active on social media and things like that. So please reach out and connect. And and I hope to see you at one of our awesome ocean events of any flavor and nature coming up in the future in live person. And would love to, uh, you know, in person put the the face with the name. So I look forward to that.
0: Well, let's do it, Megan. Thank you so much, uh, Bruckner. Would you like to close with any other thoughts? I'll just say that I've also often,
5: often joked that if I ever sound intelligent, I'm probably plagiarizing my wife. And with that being said, I think that you know we all talk about wanting to positively impact how people you know impact with their oceans and their communities. And I think what everyone on this panel seems to be doing is recognizing that for that change to be sustainable and ongoing, we need to allow people to keep connecting to that feeling, to keep connecting to the experience of looking out over the Great Lakes or being at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And I think that this past year has allowed us to see tools to do that online, in person. We've gotten creative of how to recreate these experiences that inspire us. And I think that I would encourage everyone to do that. We all experience the ocean or the open water in different ways, but find a way that resonates with you. And then keep touching that, keep connecting back to that, and, and look for ways to positively impact your local waters and the community around you. And uh, I look forward to running across more of these people as we put more um, feet in the sand in different places, and, and check out uh, the National Weather Service Ocean Today Wave Safe Series, and visit some of the shores that we call our favorites right now, and, and see what you need to know before
0: you head there. Very nice, there, Bruckner. Looking forward to uh, a paddle out with you on the Potomac or somewhere else on the bay. Uh, hopefully soon. Absolutely, count on it. All right, David Ruck. Anything to close with yourself?
4: Well, Megan stole my Cousteau line that I was going to use, so I guess I'll have <laughs> to go with uh, GI Joe and just say that you know, knowing is half the battle, and <laughs> uh, you know, with the with the with the video stories that that we're telling. Um, you know the the goal is to to help create those connections and get people to understand so that they'll they'll be like all of us and they'll they'll want to care for a place whether they live near it or have just visited it. So um, I guess I'll leave with that. It's been an honor and a pleasure sharing the microphone with these fine folks. Uh, they can learn more about Great Lakes Outreach Media and the work we're doing at GreatLakesOutreach.com. And uh, you know. I I echo what you said, Tim. I I would look forward to having another conversation down the road. So thank you.
0: You betcha. And for everybody in our audience, uh, I'm working with uh, the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News today uh, on a proposal to potentially expand this into an actual documentary, a limited documentary series like The World of Waves, but focused on the blue economy. And I will definitely have you all back. Uh, And on camera if we're able to get that uh, through for next year Uh, But we're gonna close now and I want to thank everybody you all did just such a terrific job and 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 we had a good time You know in this third leg of our journey on the American blue economy podcast I think we were true to the topic of tourism and recreation because we learned a lot and we had fun doing it So I want to thank again the American Shoreline podcast network and coastal news today. Please join us for the July episode where we're going to focus on coral reefs. What a perfect topic for midsummer. This is your host, Admiral Tim Gallaudet, CEO of Ocean STL Consulting. Thank you for joining us, shipmates, and I look forward to getting underway with you again next time.